Deuteronomy 6, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Deuteronomy 6, we'll be reading from verse 1 down through verse 6 and referencing back to this passage uh, throughout the message this morning. I'll begin reading together, or reading alone in verse 1, and we'll read out loud audibly beginning in verse number 2. And so we'll read every other verse together in that pattern down through verse number uh, 6. The Bible says in verse 1, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commandeth to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. Verse 2 together. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy sons and thy sons' sons, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Verse 3. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that... uh, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Let's finish verse 6 together. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And the title of the series is Stand with Courage. We looked at Stand with Conviction uh, throughout the month of January. And beginning this morning for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about courage, boldness, how to take a stand with courage, how to, basically how to take a stand when it's not so easy to do so. And so the title of the sermon this morning, really the cornerstone to the series is this, The Christian's Fear. And I would ask this question this morning, what or who do you really fear? We're going to look at that topic this morning. Verse 2 of Deuteronomy 6 tells us that we are to fear the Lord our God. We are to fear the Lord our God. What does that mean? And how does that work with all of the other fear found throughout the Bible and in our own personal lives? We're going to talk about that. Let's pray. Lord, help us this morning to understand the message Lord, my prayer is that if there's someone here who is afraid of man or, uh, Lord, the things that are on this earth as a result of the fallen sinful world, that they'll be able to get those things turned around in their heart and mind. They'll be able to recalibrate their focus on you and trust you. And then, Lord, if there's somebody here today that is not one of your children, they've not put their faith and trust in you and you alone to save them, Lord, that their heart would be moved and stirred, and they would come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ before it is eternally too late. Thank you, for, uh, Lord, for sending your Son to die in our place, to suffer hell on the cross for us, and offering us that gift of eternal life. And Lord, again, our prayer is that there's someone who's not yet received that gift, they would do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, so last Sunday, uh, we brought uh, to, to a close our first sermon series of 2021, Stand with Conviction. And if you didn't hear the message, I'd encourage you to go back on our YouTube page or through the podcast app, um, Google Play Store, whichever you use, and uh, listen to that message. We talked about the life of Queen Esther. And we saw that uh, this is one of the women in the Bible who is a hero, one of many hero, uh, female heroes in the Bible. And she was put in a place of power, becoming queen of the uh, largest empire of that time, uh, the empire of Persia. And she used her status, she used her power very carefully, and she took a stand uh, to protect God's people. She took a stand, and in that stand, she stood on what she believed, and God was able to use her to save uh, the Israelites alive. Now, many people have a head knowledge of biblical values. i talked about, um, let's see, the, the second week of the year, we talked about uh, our principles, and I talked about valuing the Bible, and I talked about valuing 
church. And I talked about um, uh, valuing, um, uh, let's see, valuing salvation, those three things. And there's a whole bunch of you in here this morning. You know that you're saved. You know you've put your faith and trust in Christ. Uh, you've got that down inside and out, uh, upside and down. Uh, you could explain it. Uh, I could wake you up at 2 in the morning and you'd be just as certain then that you're saved as you are right now. Uh, many of you are faithful to church each and every week. You're here uh, week in and week out. If not once a week, some of you come twice, even three times a week. And some of you just come and sit on the parking lot on Thursday when there's nothing going on because you love church so much. Amen. Uh, some people just really, really love church. And uh, some of you here, boy, you love the Bible. You've read it. You've studied it. You have a good head knowledge of God's Word. And you, you know what you believe. And really, you even know why you believe it. But when push comes to shove and things get tough, and uh, boy, you have to stand in the face of someone who uh, doesn't uh, like what you believe and is even hostile toward what you believe, maybe sometimes our courage can melt away. That ability to stand, boy, fear strikes our heart and we can become afraid to stand up for what we know we believe. It's in our head, but boy, are we willing to take that stand from the heart? Paul encouraged the church of Ephesus to stand boldly in the day of persecution or tribulation. He said in Ephesians 3, he said, According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness, boldness, that's courage, and access with confidence by faith, uh, by the faith of him. Uh, Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Everyone understands that taking a stand for Jesus means being uncomfortable at times. You see, when you take a stand for what is right, You put yourself out there and cause many to scorn you. We talked about this last week. Really, we've talked about it all year so far. It's not popular to be a biblical Christian in America in 2021. Uh, the culture is moving away from Christ. They're leaving uh, uh, the Bible and prayer and church and Christianity in the rearview mirror. If you don't believe me, look at our parking lot and then drive over to the post road and look at the mall parking lot. Which one has more cars? It's not even close. People aren't thinking about God and the Bible and prayer and church. And in fact, uh, the world has even become hostile toward Christians who take a radical stand uh, for what they believe. And let me just say again, let me, re- let me reiterate again, the world does not like a Christian who wants to play it both ways. Someone who wants to have their foot in the world and a foot in church and be a, uh, a, a, a be in line with culture on Monday and try to be in line with uh, Christ on Sunday. The world has just as little respect for you as Christians have for you. Boy, the world wants you all in or all out and God wants you all in or all out. He wants you to be radical about what you believe. He wants you to be all in on it. But the truth is, if we're going to take a stand for what's right, if we're going to take a stand for Christ, that's not popular anymore. And you know what? When you take a, an unpopular stand, uh, the popular people are going to decide real quick they don't like you. You say, well, what if I'm nice about it? And I believe you ought to be nice about it. I don't believe any Christian ought to go out here and uh, be offensive just for the sake of being offensive. I don't think any Christian should go out there and uh, say things that are rude or inflammatory or incendiary. But the truth is you can have the perfect disposition. You can be kind and sweet and loving all the same. Uh, But if you take a stand for Christ, even with that disposition, it's not going to be the popular thing to do. This morning's sermon is on fear. And I have defined fear this way. Now, I probably should have had our media team put this up on the screen. I failed to do that. But I would, I'm going to read this quote several times, and I would encourage you to find a place to write this quote down. Okay, Fearing God is first being afraid that God will hurt me, and then it matures to a place where I become afraid of hurting my God. I want to say that again, and if, again, I want to uh, say that two, three, four times, and I really want everyone to write that down if you could, okay? And go back and really meditate on this. Fearing God is first being afraid that God will hurt me, and then it matures to a place where I become afraid of hurting my God. 
Fearing God is first being afraid that my God will hurt me, and then it matures to a place where I become afraid of hurting my God. To those of you here that grew up with a loving father in your life, I know that's not everyone's situation, but to those of you that did, I think you'll be able to relate with this. When I was a little guy, my dad was the biggest, strongest guy on planet Earth in my perspective, and when I did wrong, he would spank me. You may argue with that as far as being a right or wrong method. It's in the Bible. As long as it's done right, it's biblical. Uh, But my dad would spank me. And you know what? When I was a little guy, I did not do right uh, for any other reason than I just didn't want a spanking. I didn't want to get my backside whipped. I didn't like the tears that were shed. And so I did right out of fear that my dad would hurt me. There was a day where my father asked me to do something. And I didn't get it done. I was probably 13 years old. I was still afraid of my dad. Uh, I walked inside and he asked me if I got it done and I had it. And I knew I was caught red-handed. And my back, uh, back of my legs tensed up. My backside tensed up. And I thought he was going to say, go to your room. And I thought I knew what was coming. And he didn't say that. Instead, he stooped his shoulders and he dropped his head and he said, son, I've raised you better than this. I'm disappointed in you. And the rest of that evening, my dad's spirit was low because I had let him down. I had hurt him. When we grow in the Lord, we don't just do right because we're afraid God's going to drop wrath out of heaven and punish us. We do right because we're afraid of disappointing God and hurting him. Well, that's a fear that comes out of deep, deep love for God. He loves me so much, the last thing I want to do is let him down. The last thing I want to do is grieve the Holy Spirit of God by my behavior. Boy, that's what it truly means to fear God, to have that intimate, close walk with God. As I became a young man, 14, 15, 16 years old, uh, uh, the, uh, the idea of my father punishing me and inflicting pain on me grew less and less and less because that relationship with him was so deep and rich and real, the last thing I wanted to do was let my dad down. And so I obeyed out of reverence or fear of hurting him. What does it mean to truly fear God? I believe that fearing God is the foundation of the Christian life. Now that is quite a statement. I'm going to show you uh, what I uncovered in my Bible study On the fear of the Lord, I probably spent five to six hours uh, preparing for this message, studying about the fear of the Lord. I read every verse in the Bible that talks about the fear of the Lord. I read stories around the fear of the Lord. And boy, I was just moved in my study of this. And I came to a strong conclusion. I'll show you uh, what I uncovered preparing for this, that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of the Christian life. If you are not good at fearing the Lord, your Christian life is going to struggle. If you can learn how to fear the Lord, and I mean really fear the Lord, your Christian life is going to thrive, it's going to grow, it's going to be fantastic, it's going to do wonderful. Um, Show me a Christian who fears God, and I will show you a Christian that is fearless toward the world. David said in Psalm chapter 56 verse 3, he said, what time I am afraid, finish the verse with me, I will trust in thee. And he said in Psalm 118, verse 6, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What what can man do unto me? The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? I believe that many Christians intellectually know that God is all-powerful. Intellectually, they know it. Right here in their head, you say to them, is God omnipotent? Raise your hand this morning if in your head you believe that God is all-powerful. Will you raise your hand for me this morning? Boy, that's either every hand or almost every hand. In our head, we know it, but emotionally, that's where things begin to fall apart. Um, Many of us are like Peter out on the water. You remember when Peter stepped out of the boat and walked on water, that story in the New Testament? You know, many of us are like Peter. As long as our eyes are on Jesus... The winds can blow, the storm can rage on in life. We're not afraid of the elements because our eyes are locked on Jesus. But the moment we take our eyes off Jesus and we start to look at the storm, what happens? Just like Peter, we sink. We sink. And in our head, Peter knew, look, Peter had walked on water. Peter knew what Jesus was capable of, but what happened? Peter lost his focus. 
And we must keep our focus on the Lord. We must decide today that our focus is not going to be on the virus that's spreading around the world or the problems with uh, the politics of our country and the world at large and all of the things that the wind's blowing and the storm's raging. We must take our eyes off of all these things and we must lock our eyes on a God who's all-powerful and ever-caring. We're going to look at three vital angles when it comes to this topic of standing with courage as we look at this truth, the Christian's fear. Now, if you're new here this morning, uh, you received a bulletin on your way in, I hope. On the back of that bulletin is a fill-in-the-blank outline. I would encourage you to take notes as we go. Uh, The uh, points will be up here on the screen to help you. Uh, Notice point number one, the portrayal of godly fear. The portrayal of of godly fear. Notice letter A, our focus. Our focus. Uh, Proverbs chapter 8. If you can, once you've jotted those two words down, take your Bibles over to the book of Proverbs. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs quite a bit. Hold your place in Deuteronomy 6. We'll come back there in just a few minutes. Proverbs chapter 8. If you could turn there for me and look with me at verse number 13. And as we look at a description of the fear of the Lord out of the book of Proverbs from Solomon, we get a good idea of what it means to fear the Lord. And to just make it really practical this morning, what we focus on is going to determine what we fear. Look at Proverbs chapter 8, look at verse 13. Here Solomon tells his son, Rehoboam, he says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And now, the rest of the verse is a description of what brings about evil. Look here. Pride and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. Pride and arrogancy, you say, well, evil way, isn't that repetitive? No, it's not. The evil way is the path that takes us to evil. The path that takes us to evil. Uh, Here, Solomon is saying to stay off the path that would even get you there. To identify the path and steer clear of that. Now, Solomon tells us that these things, pride, arrogancy, the evil way, froward mouth, he says these things will distract and detour you from fearing God. Now, why? Pride, arrogancy, uh, the evil way, or that lifestyle that leads to evil, a froward mouth. Watch this now. Every one of these things can be found in Proverbs 6, 16 and 17 uh, as the sins that God hates. The sins that God hates. Why does God hate these sins above the rest? Because they keep us from fearing God. They keep us from fearing Him. If your focus is on you, and so many people, their focus is on them. How, how do you know if your focus is on yourself? Can I tell you how you can tell? If when you have a conversation with other people, all you ever want to talk about is yourself, that's a sign that you are in love with you. Hey, I've been guilty of it. Haven't we all at some point been guilty of that? When you get into a conversation with someone else, and your conversation quickly turns to either the things of God or the person you're speaking with, and you care more about them than you do yourself, that's a pretty good sign that your focus is not on yourself. Look back at uh, Proverbs 8.13. The very first two things after the colon there are pride and arrogancy. If you're focusing on you, that's pride and arrogancy, then you don't fear God because your focus is on yourself and how great you think you are. Sometimes your focus is is on how terrible you think you are, but both are equally wrong. If this is the case, then your focus is not on the Lord. Now, how about the other two items in that list, Proverbs 8, 13? Notice there, the evil way and the froward mouth. That evil way is a lifestyle that leads to evil. If your focus is on the sinful culture of the world and fitting in with the sinful culture of the world, again, that evil way, that froward mouth, then you don't fear God because your focus is on a sinful world. I've always wondered, why do Christians curse? I see Christians that struggle with cursing. Sometimes it's because we've developed a bad habit and we don't know how to let it go. But why do Christians curse? Can I tell you why one of the reasons I think it might be we want to fit in with the people at work. We want to fit in with the culture at large. 
we, we, you, you know, you stand out like a, like a sore thumb if you don't curse and you're around people that do curse. Why, why doesn't he talk the way we talk? Oh, because he or she is a Christian. Are you afraid for people to know that you're a Christian? You see, if our focus is on pleasing a sinful culture, then our focus is not on the Lord. Why? We don't fear the Lord. Now, um, I want you to write this quote down as well. This one's really short and simple. Our fears lie where our focus lies. Our fears lie where our focus lies. Can I just tell you something right now? I am not at all concerned about the political situation in America. Not one iota. Nor was I two years ago, nor was I four years ago, nor was I six years ago. Yeah, but pastor, the corruption in Hartford, the corruption in Washington, D.C. Uh, corru- Listen, the Bible tells us that God is the potentate. That means He is the political leader of all political leaders. And if our eyes are on the Lord and we really trust that He's in charge, what is there to be afraid of? Can I tell you how you become afraid of the political picture in America? I can tell you how you become afraid. Your focus is on the news. You're listening to this guy and this girl and this commentator and this person. And you know what? You become afraid really fast because your focus is on the wrong thing. Some of you here, and I'm not meaning to belittle or berate or put down, but I am here to kind of correct and encourage you. Some of you need to quit reading about coronavirus. You read about it all day, every day. You read and you read and you read and you read. And and I mean, there's people here that read about coronavirus. And man, you are, you, you have your heels dug in that coronavirus is way overblown and, and and isn't anywhere near uh, uh, what uh, the hype is. And then there's other people on the other side of it that think it's not hyped enough. You know what? My eyes are on the Lord who made all things. You're going to fear what you focus on. Our fears lie where our focus lies. For those who are walking with God and meditating on Him, their fear is in God. For those who are focused on self, their fear lies in their own body breaking down or missing some mark or a personality defect or the, uh, their looks not being up to par in their own mind or, uh, uh, or some other default in themselves. They're focused on self. Their fear lies in their own shortcomings. For those who focus on the world and what the world offers, they fear those things that uh, worldly systems cannot control. Are you focused on God this morning? Do you fear Him. Letter A, our focus. Letter B, notice, our foundation. Our foundation. Turn over to Proverbs uh, chapter 9 and verse 10. And then once you've got your spot there, turn over with me back over to Deuteronomy 6 uh, where we began uh, this morning. Um, uh, One thing that becomes very clear as you study this topic of fearing God is that fearing God is the foundation of the entire Christian life. Let me show you what I mean. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and look at verses 1 and 2. Look here. The Bible says, now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments. Now those three things, commandments, statutes, and judgments, just about sum up the entire Bible. Do they not? Commandments, statutes, and and judgments. Those three things sum up just about the whole Bible, okay? Look here. Now, these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God uh, com- uh, co- commanded to teach you that ye might do them, do them in the land whether ye go to possess it. Look at verse 2. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God. Notice the foundational statement in verse 2. Fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and commandments. How do I keep the statutes and the commandments? By fearing the Lord my God. The verse goes on to say, Which I command thee that thou and thy sons and thy grandsons or thy sons' sons all the days of thy life and and that thy days may be prolonged. If I want a healthy and happy life, I am to fear the Lord my God. And 
through fearing Him, I can love Him with all my heart. By the way, you look down at verse number 6 and you get into, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. And I'm quoting off the top of my head here. It goes on to say that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul and all thy mind and all thy strength. You cannot fully love God unless you fear Him. You must fear God. And through a healthy fear of God, you will fully and deeply love Him and love others. What else is laid on this foundation of fear? Turn over to Proverbs chapter 9 and verse number 10. Proverbs chapter 9 and verse number 10. And boy, we could spend the next 30 minutes just looking at the things that sit on the foundation. But for the sake of the message, we'll move quickly through these. Look at verse number 10 of Proverbs 9. The Bible says, The fear of the Lord is the foundation or the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the holy is understanding. What, what do you do when you get into a spot in your life and you don't know where to turn? You really don't know where to go or what to do. Well, you ought to get on your knees and pray. But secondly, what we generally do, we find someone who has more life experience than we do, and we ask them for wisdom. Wisdom. Now, wisdom is important. Wisdom helps us navigate through hardships in life. Where does godly wisdom come from? What is the foundation that sits beneath godly wisdom? The Bible says the entry point or the beginning or the foundation of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. You cannot have godly wisdom unless you have godly fear. You have to fear the Lord. There has to be that reverence, that respect, that understanding. Our God is a consuming fire. Our God is almighty and ever powerful. And our God can become wrathful and angry and can punish and cannot not only annihilate the body but annihilate the soul jesus reminds us in the new testament but not only is our god a god of truth our god is a god of mercy and a god of love and a god of great care and when you take a god who can punish anyone and a god who cares for everyone and you put those attributes together we stand back in awe and we say you are a god that i deeply reverence and fear and from that feeling of reverence and fear comes a love, a deep love for God and becomes a wisdom. What else is built on that foundation? Well, Solomon lays out quite a few things for us. And I'll rattle these verses off. If you have a pen and you want to write quickly, all of these come out of the book of Proverbs. I would encourage you to write quickly here. What else goes on top of the foundation of fearing the Lord? Well, long life, long life. Proverbs chapter 10, verse number 27 how about out of Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 26? Christian confidence. Our confidence comes from fearing the Lord. How about this one? Contentment. Contentment comes from fearing the Lord. If you lack contentment in your life, it's an evidence that you just don't really fear the Lord. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse number 16. Uh, verse 33 of Proverbs chapter 15 tells us that not only getting wisdom, but teaching Wisdom, teaching wisdom, the ability to explain and share that wisdom comes from fearing the Lord. How about this one? Freedom from sin habits. Freedom from sin habits. How many here knows, know what it means to have a habit entrenched in your life that's sinful and you have a hard time with it? How many know what that feeling is like? My hand's up. Boy, I know what it's like. I think if we're all honest this morning, we've all battled some sort of sinful habit. Even if it's just pride, we've all battled some sort of sinful habit. How many of you have ever had the feeling of, man, no matter how hard I try, I just can't break free of this sin. I just can't break free. How many of you know what that feeling is like? You know what the problem is? If we're going to be honest this morning, we don't fear God enough. Our focus is not on the Lord enough. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 6 promises us freedom from those sinful habits if we fear the Lord. Here's one that should get everybody's attention. Riches. How many of you here? Well, I'm not going to ask how many of you like money because that's a trick question, isn't it? I don't think anyone here hates money, right? You may try to say you don't love it, but boy, money brings about a lot of things to help us, doesn't it? Riches, honor, and life. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4 tells us that it comes from a combination of two things, the fear of the Lord 
and humility. If I do not fear God the way I ought to, then all of these things that I just shared with you will become a struggle in my life. I look around at so many Christians who struggle to be good Christians. You say, well, Pastor Lejeune, you ought not judge. As a pastor that leads a flock, it is my duty to understand the spiritual state of each one that attends here and to cast a righteous judgment, not for the sake of condemning, but for leading forward. And many, many people who call White Oak Baptist Church their church home, their Christian life is, could be described by the word struggle. It's difficult. And why is that? Well, if we could just boil it all down to one missing problem, it's that we don't really fear God the way we ought to. Because if we would fear the Lord, these other things would be points of growth, not points of struggle. Number one, the portrayal of godly fear. Number two, notice, the practice. The practice of godly fear. Listen, I I don't want to just come in here and throw theory at you. I'm going to give you some practical ways to fear the Lord. And I think this point will be a great encouragement to many of you. Okay, Pastor, practically, what can I do to have a deeper fear of God? Well, I'm glad you asked. Letter A, notice our attention on God. Our attention on God. If you're going to fear God, you've got to put a lot of attention on God. Can everyone turn over to the 145th Psalm? Psalm 145. If you're in the book of Proverbs, that's just one book back to the left. Psalm 145, and instead of giving you commentary on this point, we're just going to put our attention on God corporately for just a minute. Let's read the entire psalm, okay? Let's read it responsively, so you all will read with me the even-numbered verses. Verse 1, I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Let's read together verse 2. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Our generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty, and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness, and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works." All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. The Lord upholdeth all that fall, and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thy hand, and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon Him, to all that call upon Him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear Him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love Him, but all the wicked will He destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. Wow, I'd say David had a pretty good understanding of God. Would you not? Would you not say that with me this morning? Boy, David understood how powerful God was. Why? Because on a daily basis, David put his attention on God. You see, if we wake up every morning and our attention is only on the material things in front of us, and we never take a time each day 
In fact, several times each day to stop and think about God and His goodness. We're going to have a hard time fearing a God we never focus on. Our attention on God. Let her be noticed. Our adoration of God or our worship. Our adoration of God. Turn over to the 33rd Psalm. The 33rd Psalm. Psalm chapter number 33. And we're going to read the entire Psalm there as well. I'll read this time and follow along with me there in your Bible. It's not just enough to put our attention on God. We need to worship God. And I'll just say this. If you are giving God quality time and learning who He really is, worshiping God's just a byproduct. It just happens. Hey, while I'm throwing out quotes this morning, can I give you another one? Here's a good quote for you to take down. Worshiping God is a realization of who God is and who I am. Worshiping God is a realization that He is everything, and I am nothing. I am nothing. I walk around with my chest out, I can do this, I can do that. Look at me, look what I can do. Boy, I sure preach a good sermon Sunday morning. And God looks down at me and says, You are a pathetic little nobody nothing. You're an engineer, you go to work, and you get something figured out at work. Maybe you're in HR and you handle a difficult personnel thing, and boy, you want to walk away thinking, You're all that. And God looks down at you and says, Really? Your attention's on yourself, it's not on me. When we take the time and we focus on the Lord and we realize how big He is and how little and insignificant we are, it becomes really, really easy to worship God. Look at the 33rd Psalm. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright or appropriate for the upright. Praise the Lord with harp. Sing unto Him the psaltery in an instrument of ten strings. Sing unto Him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. For the word of the Lord is right, and all His works are done in earth. He loveth righteousness and judgment. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as a heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever. The thoughts of the heart to all of his, of his heart, to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom He hath chosen for His own inheritance. The Lord looketh from heaven. He beholdeth all the sons of men. From the place of His habitation He looketh upon the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioneth their hearts alike. He considereth all their works. There is no king saved by the multitude of an host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength and horses of anything for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eyes of the Lord is upon them that fear him, upon them that hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul awaiteth for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. You get the sense that David is standing up and he's shouting, Hey! Hey, all you pagan people! Hey, all you people that worship a false god! My God is bigger, better, stronger than your false gods. David was rejoicing in the Lord. You know, the world is filled with idolatry. People worship all kinds of things. We talked a few minutes ago about people who worship themselves and people who worship the culture of the world. But the truth is, people worship money and material goods and people worship uh, sexuality. People worship all sorts of things. And the truth is, Christian, when we put our eyes on the Lord and our attention is on the Lord, we just can't help but rejoice and adore how good our God is. You say, what does it mean to fear the Lord? It means to put our eyes on God and behold His greatness. It means to take a few minutes and worship God for His greatness. Let her see, notice, our actions for God. Our actions for God. I'll be quick here. Psalm chapter 2 in verse 11. Turn over to Psalm chapter number 2 and verse number 11. 
I'll begin reading. The Bible says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Serve the Lord with fear. Serve the Lord with fear. It's not just enough for you to go into some uh, monastery like a monk and get a Bible and read it and focus on God and then, you know, uh, rejoice and praise God through worship. It's not just enough for you to sit in a, in, in a quiet place and be an introvert. No, you need to turn around and take that fear of God and let that drive you into action to serve the Lord. How about Joshua? Joshua told God's people at, at the very end of his life in that famous charge, a little bit before verse 15, where we read where he says, Choose ye this day whom ye will serve. One verse prior, verse 14, he says this, Now therefore, fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Serve Him. Serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. Christian, are you serving the Lord this morning? You say, how do I serve the Lord? You serve the Lord by serving your family at home. Amen? Uh, What's that mean to serve your family at home? That means you're looking out to protect and take care of their needs. You serve the Lord by being a witness to a lost and dying world around you. Folks, we have a a, a broken world around us that's filled with sin. We have a culture that celebrates the cancer of sin, that celebrates and tries to make glamorous the filthiness of sin. And we need Christians who don't come and, and come with a condemning voice and a condemning attitude. No, we need Christians that live cleaned up godly lives who take the good word of God out with them and offer words of encouragement and care and a heart of compassion and a tear in the eye that says the Bible says that God loves you let me demonstrate for you the love of God we need to serve the world around us but we also need to serve the Lord through the avenue of the church some of you here this morning your attendance to church is hit or miss. And I'm not casting stones at anyone. I understand that there's a growth point where we get to a place where we're consistent. But let me just encourage you this morning, get consistent in attending church. And don't just sit on a pew and be a pew warmer. God did not just call us to sit on the premises. He called us to stand on the promises. Amen? Get busy serving the Lord. Ladies, help out in the nursery. Men, you can help usher. Great Commission Saturday is a great time to come and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world around us. Boy, there's all sorts of ways you can get plugged in serving the Lord because you fear the Lord. Letter D, notice our, uh, our attitude about life. Our attitude about life. Turn over to Psalm chapter 34. Psalm chapter 34 and verse number 9. In Psalm chapter 2, you should be able to find that relatively quick. Psalm chapter 34. And look at verse 9 and let's read down through verse number 11. Okay? The Bible says, O oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Look, look back at verse 9 with me. Look, look back at verse 9. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints. Remember, we talked about how that is to be foundational. What comes about from a Christian that fears the Lord? It says there, there is no want to them that fear him. No doubt this morning many of you feel very needy. I know how that feels because I am there myself regularly. Maybe you have a financial need. Maybe you have an emotional need. You just feel empty emotionally. Maybe socially you feel lonely. Maybe spiritually you feel distant. Maybe physically you feel sick. You say, I have great want in my life. Now, one of two things is going to have to change. Either your need is going to need to be met or your spirit about your need is going to have to change. You all with me this morning? Look back at verse 9. We'll read down through verse 11 this time. Look here. Oh, fear the Lord, ye saints. What is the result of fearing the Lord? There is no want to them that fear Him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but... They that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. That means they won't have a loss of any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you 
to, uh, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What fills in the gap in that emptiness that we have, that, that desire that we have? You know what it is? It's a change in attitude. You know what? I've met people who um, sit in the same church and have similar circumstances, and one person walks around and they mope and complain and gripe about how hard their life is, and someone else rejoices and praises God, and their circumstances are just as bad, if not worse. What's the difference between the two church members? One fears the Lord. The other one doesn't quite fear the Lord like they should. Now, um, how is your attitude about life? Does contentment describe you and define you? Or is your life filled with discontentment? Our attitude about life. We've looked at our portrayal. We've looked at our practice. Let's finish the sermon. Number three, notice the prize. The prize of godly fear. Now this is my favorite, favorite part of the sermon. We're going to look at some biblical examples of folks that feared the Lord. And we're going to see how God came through for them in a great way, okay? Letter A, notice, we gain His praise. We gain His praise. Turn in your Bibles over to Job chapter number 1 and verse number 8. Job is one book before the book of Psalm. Job Job chapter 1 and verse number 8. While you're turning there, Psalm 15, 4 says, "...in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he, he, speaking of God, God honoreth them that fear the Lord." He honors them. "...he that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not." God honors those that fear Him. Well, where do we find that happening in the Bible? Look at Job chapter 1 and verse number 8. Here we see a conversation between God and Satan. Look here. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man? Look here. One that feareth God, feareth God, and escheweth or hateth evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job, uh, doth, uh, doth Job fear God for naught? Uh, obviously, Job fears you. You've put it, uh, uh, a hedge of protection about him. Now, I could spend the next 45 minutes talking about the life of Job. That's not the purpose of the sermon this morning. The purpose of the sermon is to say this. Job feared God. God honored Job. God audibly talked about Job because Job feared God. Psalm 15.4 promises us that if we will fear God, boy, God takes note of this. Uh, Another example in the New Testament, you remember the centurion that came to Jesus and said, my daughter is sick, I need you to heal her. And Jesus began to go with him and he said, oh no Jesus, you don't need to come with me, just say the word and she'll be whole. And the Bible says that Jesus marveled at the man's faith. You know what that man did? He feared the power of God in the form of Jesus. And Jesus stopped and marveled and commended the man for his faith. You see, when we fear God, we gain God's praise. But that's not all. Notice letter B. We gain his protection. We gain his protection. Turn over to 2 Chronicles chapter number 20. If you're in Job, that's just a few books back to the left. 2 Chronicles chapter number 20. While you're turning there, uh, the psalmist said in Psalm 34 verses 4 and 7, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me. He delivered me from all my fears. David said, I had fears. I had concerns. There were things on earth that scared me, that frightened me, and the Lord delivered me. He protected me. Verse 7 of that same chapter says, The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. If you're looking for a verse that proves that there's a guardian angel around Christians in the Bible, Psalm 34:7 is your verse. There is a guardian angel that flies around. I talked about this a few weeks ago. How many of you, the way you drive, you need a guardian angel? Amen. Um, how many of you, the way your spouse drives, they need a guardian angel? Amen. It's Valentine's Day. Don't raise your hand. Amen. Yeah, but uh, Psalm 34 tells us that the Lord protects those that fear Him. Now you say, well, Pastor, doesn't bad things still happen to those that fear God? The answer is yes, but not without God signing off on it first. Let's look at Second Chronicles chapter number 20 and look at verse number 3. 
The Bible says in Jehoshaphat, and my kids think that King Jehoshaphat's name is funny. I did too when I was a little boy. Jehoshaphat, I'm sure he was a skinny man, uh, just how his name uh, works here. Jehoshaphat feared, so he feared. There were circumstances going on. We'll get into this in a minute. Uh, Jehoshaphat was afraid. What did he do when he feared? The Bible says, and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So what happens here is a messenger, a watchman, comes into Jehoshaphat the king and says, there is a large enemy approaching, one so large, tactically we don't stand a chance. They're going to clean our clock. They're going to wipe us out. And the Bible says here that Jehoshaphat, based on those circumstances, was afraid. But in his fear, he turned to the Lord. He proclaims a fast. He gathers a bunch of people in uh, together and they all get on their knees and they lay prostrate on the floor and they're praying and they're crying out to God to protect them. Look down at verse number 14. I'm going to have to read some difficult names here, so be patient with me. Uh, Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of uh, Jael, the son of Mathaniah, a Levite of the son of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. So this man, Jehaziel, is laying on the floor, praying with everyone else with the king about this enemy approaching, and then this man stands up, and look at verse 15, and he, Jehaziel, said, Hearken ye all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Somebody this morning needs to underline that phrase, for the battle is not yours but God's. You're you're battling, you're struggling, you're having a hard time with a set of circumstances in life. You need to underline that phrase, the battle is not yours, it's God's. God's going to fight your battles for you. He needs you to be still and know He's God. He needs you to fear Him. He needs you to trust Him. Uh, Look at verse 16. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still. Here's another phrase you should underline. And see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, uh, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Are you picturing this this morning? All these people are laid prostrate on their faces. They're crying out to God. They're fasting. There's an enemy coming to wipe them out. And Jehaziel stands up and he says, Hey! Don't be afraid. The battle is not yours. It is the Lord's. He will deliver you. Now, I'm just going to tell you, if I was Jehoshaphat, what I would have been tempted to do the next day. I would have been tempted to say, now, Lord, I trust you, and I believe the battle is yours, but guys, get your sharpest swords on your hip just in case. (laughs) We're going to go down there ready to fight and be prepared to die just in case. Can I tell you, that's not what Jehoshaphat did. Jehoshaphat feared God so much, and his faith in God was so strong, he did something that tactically was crazy. Look down at verse number 21. So the next morning they wake up. Look at verse 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness. As they went out before the army, and to say... Praise the Lord, for His mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to uh, praise, the Lord said, Ambushments against the children of Ammon, uh, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come uh, uh, against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to uh, slay and destroy them. Uh, And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. And when Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked upon the multitude. And behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth, and none escaped. Jehoshaphat said to his army, he said, we're going to take the army, and we're going to march out there, but we're going to put the choir in the front. 
And those choir, that choir, they're not going to have any weapons. They're going to march in front of the army and they're going to sing and they're going to praise the goodness and the power of God. And when they walked up over the cliff, they looked down to where that army was coming to destroy them and the army had been wiped out by God. God had destroyed them for him. Now, my friend, that is fearing God. That is fearing God. They they didn't just say, hey, we fear God, but just in case, here's our swords. They said, we fear God, and because we fear Him so much, we're going to let the choir lead the way. Why? Because God offers His protection to them that fear Him. And I just want to say this as gently and lovingly and kindly as I can. Christian, you don't need to be afraid of any virus or sickness because God's not going to let you get that unless He wants you to have it. And if he wants you to have it, no amount of protection that you wear or put on or that you do is going to keep you from getting it. You all understand that this morning? No, I'm not saying you shouldn't take precautions and, and use the, your brain. There is a line between faith and foolishness, and God expects us not to live foolishly or to tempt fate. But at the end of the day, you don't need to walk around with an emotion of fear. You need to walk around fearing God because he's the one that protects us. What is the prize of, of godly fear? Well, we see the praise of, uh, we, we see that we gain his praise. We gain his protection. Quickly, let her see. We see we gain his pity. We gain his pity. Turn over to John chapter 11 and verse number 30. John chapter 11 and verse number 30 in the New Testament. While you're finding your way to John chapter 11 and verse number 30, Psalm 103 and verse 13, the Bible says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Again, as you're turning, listen, John chapter 11, verse 30, the Bible tells us in Psalm 103, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Later on in that chapter, verse 17, By the mercy of the Lord, but the mercy of the Lord, rather, is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children. The mercy of the Lord, the pity of of the Lord. Look at John chapter 11 and verse number 30. Here we find a story of uh, uh, Lazarus has died, the friend of Jesus. And Lazarus' Lazarus's sisters, Mary and Martha, are grieving at the loss. And they're grieving at their disappointment of Jesus not coming. Martha's already made her way to the tomb, or rather to where Jesus is on the outskirts of town. And she's expressed her disappointment with Jesus. And then Mary makes her way out to meet Jesus. Look at verse 30. Now, uh, Jesus was not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him, uh, the Jews then which were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary that she rose up hastily and went out followed her, saying, She goeth unto the grave to weep there. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet. Look at the reverence she pays the Lord. Look at the fear she has for the Lord. Saying unto him, Lord... She's on her knees at his feet weeping. Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping which came with her, he groaned in his spirit and was troubled and said, Where have ye laid him? Then said they, then said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. You see the pity that Jesus has for Mary and Martha? Some of you here, some of you listening online, you're going through a really hard time in your life. It's difficult. You're afraid. But in your heart of hearts, you want to fear God. Can I tell you that God looks down on the hurt that's in your heart and your life and He groans in His Spirit toward you. Now, just a few verses later, Lazarus is going to raise from the dead and Mary and Martha are going to be beside themselves with joy. But in this moment, Jesus looks down and sees a woman that fears Him that's hurting and He hurts right alongside with her. Boy, when we fear God, we gain His pity. But not only do we gain His pity, letter D, we gain His provisions. 
we gain his provisions. One more passage this morning. Turn over to 2 Kings chapter number 4. 2 Kings chapter number 4. While you're turning there, Psalm 115, verse number 13 says this. It says, He will bless them, bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. You know, there's no pecking order in heaven. There's no VIP list with God. Uh, There's no respecter of persons with God. It doesn't matter this morning how much money you do or don't have in the bank, how much debt you do or don't have. It doesn't matter what kind of uh, uh, childhood you had or uh, what kind of background you have. It doesn't matter your color, your culture, or your wealth class. Boy, uh, the, 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 the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And to those that fear the Lord, He pours out His blessings on them Equally, equally. Here in Second Kings chapter 4, we find the prophet Elisha. Not Elijah. This has been Elijah's um, a predecessor, Elisha. And there's a woman whose husband was a Bible college student. He was a son of the prophets. He was studying for ministry and he died, uh, a, a young man, and he left, left his wife in a bad place financially. And, and it's to be assumed that this woman likewise Feared the Lord. Look at chapter 4 and verse number 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. So to pay off the debts, the creditor is going to come and kidnap or take away her two children and force them into slavery to pay off the debt. Verse 2, And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. Then he said, Elisha said, Go, borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons, and uh, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed, or the oil ran out. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. Wow. Now, if you're not getting the old English uh, understanding here, I'll just quickly recap the story and then bring the sermon to a close. This woman, uh, her, her husband died, leaving her in debt, and the creditor was going to come along and take her two sons and put them into forced servitude to pay off the debt. And this woman is desperate. She's already lost her husband. She doesn't want to lose her boys. They have no way of paying off this large debt. So she goes to uh, Elisha, God's man, and says, explains the situation. Listen, my husband feared the Lord. I need your help. And he said, what do you have in your house? And she said, I don't have anything of value except a pot of oil. And he said, well, here's what I want you to do. Go around and gather all of the empty pots that you can and bring them into your house. So lo and behold, she went to all of her friends and family and and relatives and neighbors, everyone she could find, and she gathered a whole bunch of empty pots and she brought them into her house and she closes the door. And she takes that pot of oil that she has and she begins to pour it into another pot. And I'm sure she might have been thinking, what is the purpose of this? The pot oil that's in this pot is just going to end up in the oil, a pot in, into that pot. And what's going to happen? But instead, she poured into that pot. And when she finished, she looked, and it was as though she had poured nothing out. And she filled up every single pot in that room. And when she said to her son, bring me the next pot, he said, there aren't any more pots. And she looked down to that original pot, and the oil was gone. And she goes and tells Elisha what happened. And Elisha said, sell all the oil, pay off your debt, and use the money to pay for the rest of your life. Wow, what a turnaround. Now, what was the key to God providing for this woman's needs? She feared the Lord her God. Now, are you beginning to understand why I said way, way back at the beginning of the sermon that fearing the Lord is the foundation of the entire Christian life? Some of you here, you don't have 
you lack. Life is hard right now. Some of you here are broken and sad and lonely and afraid. Boy, it's time for us to take our attention off man and the pain and hurt of life and put our focus on the Lord. Give Him our attention, our adoration. Serve Him and love Him. Do you fear the Lord this morning? Is He where your focus truly lies? Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. The truth is, you can't fear the Lord until you've become one of His children. The truth is, there are some here under the sound of my voice, you've never yet put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to be your Savior. And until you enter into the family of God through the door of salvation, you can fear the Lord on a small level, but when He saves you, that takes it to a whole other level. You can really please God. How many here this morning would say, Pastor Lejeune, there was a day and time in my life where I put my faith and trust in Jesus, and the truth is that if I die, I know beyond all shadow of a doubt, I'm going to go to heaven, not because of the life I've lived, but because of my faith that I've placed in Jesus to be my Savior. If that's your testimony, would you just raise your hand right where you are? I know I'm going to heaven. I've put my faith in Jesus. Of that I am certain. I have many, many hands, but not every hand. You can put your hands down. Let me just say, if you didn't raise your hand to that last question, I respect your honesty. Thank you. To my knowledge, I'm the only one looking around the room right now, and I want to give you a chance to be both honest with yourself and with God. Is there one here that would say, Pastor Lejeune, I've not yet put my faith and trust in Jesus. If I were to die today, I'm not really certain where I'd go. I'd like to think I'd go to heaven, but I'm just not really certain. Pastor Lejeune, would you pray for me that God would help me to find, find my way to peace with God and eternal life? If that's you and you say, I'm not sure, would you just slip up your hand right where you are and slip it right back down? It helps to be honest with yourself. Is there one? I see one hand. Is there another? I just don't know where I'd go if I died. Is there another hand this morning? If you raised your hand, I'd like to help you to get that taken care of. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but I'd like to speak with you after the service and help you to know that when you die, you can have certainty that you're going to go to heaven when you die. How many here this morning would say, Pastor Lejeune, the truth is I don't fear the Lord quite like I ought to. My focus and attention is not really on the Lord like it ought to be. I'm not worshiping Him like I should. My attitude toward life kind of stinks. My actions have been few and far between in service to the Lord. Pastor Lejeune, I need to do a better job of fearing the Lord. If that's you this morning, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? I need to fear the Lord. I need to fear Him with all my heart. I need to focus on Him. Many, many, many hands. Is there someone else here that would say, Pastor, I should have raised my hand the first time, and I didn't. But God knows that my fear for him is not what it ought to be. My friend, don't let pride and arrogancy get in the way. Humble your heart and trust the Lord. If that's you this morning, would you slip up your hand? I don't fear God like I ought to. Pray for me, Pastor Lejeune, that I'll fear him more. Many hands. I pray you'll take that, go from just a hand being raised And you'll make some changes in your life this week that will lead to you having a deeper fear of God. My friend, you cannot stand with courage if your eyes are not on your God. Lord, help us this morning during this time of invitation to make decisions that last. In Jesus' name.